Okay, so uh, we're up to Daf Chaf Gimel Amid Beis. We're up to the bottom line. Rami der Rameir, Adar Rameir, Rami der Rabbanon, Adar Rabbanon. We have a contradiction between Rameir and the Rabbanon. What was the? What was the? What's the contradiction? Like this. The last thing we talked about was you had a machlekes between Rameir and the Rabbanon whether a slave can redeem himself with his own money. Meaning, in other words, is it possible for a slave to have money? Or do you say, Mashakana Evid, Kana Rabbi? So you said, What's the Machlaikis about? Everyone agrees, Mashakana Evid, Kana Rabbi. So we said the Machlaikis is specifically in the following case. The case is where you gave a, a, an Evid, an Evid money. Um, yeah, you gave an Evid money on condition that first the attempt was that you give an Evid money on condition that it does not, your Rabbi doesn't have a Chalik in the money. We even said that, uh, I think Rabbi Yosef said, no, everyone agrees that that still doesn't work. The Machlekes is, you gave it to the Evid, Amenas, that he should use it to redeem himself. Rabbi Meir says, that still doesn't work, and when the Evid is kind, it goes to the master, so he can't, it's not his. But the Rabbanon said it works. Okay. We assume that that same Machlekes, in other words, they basically are having a Machlekes, is there ever a scenario where an Evid could actually have money independent of the master, basically? So the mayor says, no, it's impossible. And the Rabbanon say, yes. We assume the same thing would be for a wife. Is it ever possible for a wife to receive money, not bring into the marriage? Obviously, a wife can bring in the chesimaluk, she could bring into the marriage her own property. But is it ever possible during her marriage for her to have money that's hers and not her husband's? We assume it would be the same. The mayor would say, no. The Rabbanon would say, yes. The problem is, we have the following contradiction. The Tanya, the Bryce says, Okay, so the halacha is like this. When you're, if, if you have Meiser Shani, right, it's supposed to eat in Yerushalayim. If it's too far from Yerushalayim and you want to, um, you want to redeem it, so what you do is you transfer the holiness onto cash, use the cash in Yerushalayim. The halacha is that when you redeem your own Meiser Shani, as a penalty, you have to add a fifth. However, if someone else redeems the Meiser Shani for you, they do not have to add a fifth. So if let's say you have fruit, Menashe has fruit, and he, he's going to go to Shalayim, so if he redeems it and transfers the money, he has to add a fifth surcharge. If I do it for him, no fifth surcharge. Okay. So the price says like this, The Rabbanan say that whenever a wife redeems Meiser Shani, she has to add a fifth. Okay. So we have to exactly figure out what the case is, but it sounds like According to the Rabbanon, whatever the wife has becomes the husband. So when she redeems it, it's the equivalent of the husband redeeming his own Maiseh Shani. We have to add a fifth. Rav Shimon Alazar, Mshim Rameir, Rameir says, Isha paide Maiseh Shani b'lechamish. No, she could, uh, she could redeem it without a fifth, meaning she is like an outside person. So right off the bat, you could already see the developings of a problem. Yeah. When you redeem Maiseshani, if you're the owner of the fruit and you redeem it, you have to add a fifth. If someone else does it for you, they don't. So Machlaikis is whether a wife, when she's redeeming Maiseshani, does she add a fifth? In other words, is it her money or is it her husband's money? It's her money that she has to add. No, if it's her money, what do you mean? If it's the husband's fruit, but it's her money, then she does not have to add a fifth because she's an outside person. But if it's her husband's money. So in essence, what she's doing is as if her husband's doing it to his own fruit. He would have to add a fifth. The Rabbanan say, you have to add a fifth. Rav Meir says, you do not. So it kind of sounds like Rav Meir is cool with a woman having her own money, independent of her husband. So when she does it, it's not like her husband is doing it. It's like she's doing it separated. The 
problem is we just got finished saying that Rav Meir feels that in such a scenario, the wife's money becomes the husband's money. So what exactly is the machlokas over here, whether a woman has to add a fifth when she's redeeming it? So let's go through the options, and we'll see the contradiction. Hey, what's the case? Attempt number one. It's the husband's fruit and the husband's money. So why would it what would be the machlokas? If it's the husband's fruit and the husband's money, and she's doing it, she's a shuliach of his. Of course you have to add a fifth. There's no difference between her, right? If I redeem Menashe's fruit, if Menashe redeems it, he has to add a fifth. If I redeem it for him, I also have to add a fifth because I'm a shliach. If I do it without his knowledge, I don't have to add a fifth. Okay, fine. So over here, if it's her, if it's his money and his and his fruit, of course you have to add a fifth. She's a shliach of her husband. Yeah. How can somebody do it without his knowledge? So I, I, oh, so, so no, or, so, so no, so when I said without, okay, it could be it's with his knowledge, but not as a shliach. He, you, know, I'm not, I, I, you know, you could give me consent to do it. I'm not a shliach. A shliach means you're appointing me as a messenger. You're not appointing me as a messenger. I'm not doing it, you know, I'm not like, you know, I, I, it's not without your consent, but I'm not a shliach of yours. So the point is, if the wife is doing it, and it's the husband's money, and it's the husband's fruit, then the wife is a shliach of the husband. So then, of course, you have to add a fifth. So the Gemara says, shlichus the balkav, she's a shliach of the husband. Of course, she has to add a fifth. So that can't be the case. So what's the case? Maybe it's her money and her fruit. She brought that money and fruit into the marriage. The problem is, the halacha is that when it comes to redemption, adding a fifth, the Pasuk says ish, which means that if it's a woman's fruit and it's a woman's money, you don't have to add a fifth. I'll give you an example. A single girl is redeeming fruit, transferring the holiness onto cash. She does not have to add a fifth. It's a special halacha for men. So if it's her money and her fruit... She brought into marriage. It's in the, in the you know in the ksuba. I brought this into marriage. Then of course you don't have to add a fifth. What's the machlokes again? If it's his money and his fruit, everyone agrees you have to add a fifth. If it's her money and her fruit, everyone agrees you do not have to add a fifth. What exactly is the case? It must be the cases as follows. It must be the cases where someone gave her the money and said on condition that you use it to redeem. To redeem Meiser, meaning it's similar, it's, it's very, very similar to the Shaila we had before. You go to a slave and you say, Here, I'm giving you money on condition that you use it for your own freedom. Does that stay his or does it automatically become the master's? Rameir says it becomes the master. Ravana say, No, this is a very similar Shaila. You go over to a wife and you say, Listen, I'm giving you money, not for your husband, for you to redeem this fruit. The question is, Does it automatically become the husband's and you have to add a fifth? Or does it not? That's the same achloikas. So what you have over here is a contradiction. Rav Meir said when it comes to a slave that if you give the slave money and say in condition it should not become the master's, it becomes the master's. But over here, Rav Meir says you don't have to add a fifth because it does not become the husband's. So when it be- by the slave, it becomes the master's, but by the wife, it does not become the husband's. That's the contradiction. So the Gemara says, So it's the same opinions, but reverse. The names are off. So, Amr Abaye says, So flip the names. Make it work. Reverse the names to make it work. Rabbi says, No. Rabbi says, Really, you do not have to flip the names. But the case is not what you thought. What, what did you think the case was? You thought the case was, Someone gives her fruit and gives her money on condition that, uh, you know, someone gives her, uh, I'm sorry, the the... the 
the fruit is the husband's, and someone gives her money on condition that it does not go to the husband. It's on condition that she uses it to redeem the fruit. If the money becomes the husband's, so then she's redeeming the husband's fruit with the husband's money, you have to add a fifth. If it does not become the husband's, then she's an outside person. We thought that that was the case. Again, the case is someone's giving her money on condition that it's not hers, but she uses it for, not the husband's, but she uses it for redeeming the fruit. The question is, does that work? Similar to a slave. The answer is, that's not the case at all. The case is as follows. The case is, Over here, dealing with miser that comes as an inheritance. The halach is like this. When a woman gets an inheritance during her marriage, let's say during her marriage she gets a field as an inheritance. What's the, what's the status of the field? Who owns it? So the halacha is, she owns the principal, but the husband gets the right. Chazal instituted that any inheritance the wife gets during marriage the husband gets the rights of usage to avoid fights. Shaila's like this. Okay, so that's the halacha. If a woman gets inheritance during her marriage, the principle is hers, but the husband gets the rights of the usage. So for many intensive purposes, it becomes the husband's, basically during the marriage. The Shaila's like this. If a, a woman gets miser shaney fruit as an inheritance, she gets a call, her uncle died, leaving her a pile of miser shaney fruits. Does that become the husband's also? Chazal instituted that all inheritance goes to the husband as a usage. The question is, did they do that for Meiser Shani as well? What's the Shaila? The Shaila is, how do you perceive Meiser Shani? Is Meiser Shani fruit that's 100% yours that you have to eat in Yerushalayim? In which case, it's like any other item where it should go to the husband. Or perhaps no. Meiser Shani might be considered Shulchan Gavaya. It might be considered God's. He allows us to eat in Yerushalayim. The question is, is Meiser Shani considered yours, that you have to eat in Yerushalayim? Or is it God's, who he allows you to eat in Yerushalayim? If it's God's, it wouldn't make sense that Chazal would institute and treat this like all other inheritance. Meaning Chazal instituted that all inheritance that goes to the wife, the husband gets to use. They wouldn't do that if it belongs to Hashem. There's no reason to do that. Let the woman use it. What's the difference? So basically, here's the, here's the point. This machloikis of whether, when a woman redeems it, is she considered an extension of her husband or not, is not related to our Shaila at all. We thought the case was identical to our Shaila from yesterday, which is, a guy gives the woman money and says, on condition, your husband doesn't get it. The question is, does that work? The answer is, that's not the case at all. The case is an inheritance case. It is not related at all to our Shaila. It's a case of inheritance. And what's the machlekes? The machlekes is when Chazal instituted that a husband gets the rights of usage of all inheritance that a woman gets, did they extend that to Meiser Shani? In other words, is Meiser Shani considered regular money and it has all the rules of regular money? So yes, it becomes the husband. If it becomes the husband's, then when she redeems it, then she's redeeming her husband's fruit with her husband's money. So then you have to add a fifth. According to the Rabbanon, according to... According to, uh, it was the first opinion, according to the Rabbanon, the, ca- the, the, the case is, again, inheritance. It's the Rabbanon feel that all inheritance is considered the money of God's. It's considered HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's not all inheritance. Maish Hashem is considered Mamun Gavaya, it's considered HaKadosh Baruch Hu's fruit, in which case, there's no reason to give it to the husband. So when she redeems it, she's not, she's redeeming, she's not redeeming the husband's, she's redeeming the husband's money, but for her fruit, in which case, she does not have to add a fifth. In other words, the Shaila is completely unrelated. It's not related at all to the discussion of what we had yesterday, of a person giving a wife money 
and saying your husband should not have, con- that's not the case at all. The case is inheritance. And as Shaila, when you have Ma'isa Shani that falls inheritance to the wife, did Chazal give it to the husband? That, that's the Shaila. If they gave it to the husband, you'll have to add a fifth. If they didn't, you did not. So it's completely unrelated to our Shaila. So the Gemara says, Hacha Ma'isa da'asim b'nash askin. Over here we're talking about a case of Ma'isa that falls in inheritance to the woman during her marriage. Rameir's opinion is that Maiser is considered, Maiser Shani is considered HaKadosh Baruch And therefore, like Kani Lebao, therefore Chazal never gave it to the husband. And therefore, because Chazal never gave it to the husband, because it's not when her husband, yes, yeah, so when the wife redeems it with the husband's money, so she's redeeming her own fruit with someone else's money. So you don't have to pay. Uh, you don't have to pay. Uh, pay a chaymish. The rabbanon feel letamei damer mamin had you to. They say no. Again, it's her fruit. I'm sorry. It's 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 his money. But whose fruit is it? If it's his fruit, you got out of fifth. If it's her fruit, you don't. So the question is, what's the what's the shaila of whose fruit is? The case is, it's inheritance. And the shaila is the rabbanon letamei damer mamin had you to. The rabbanon follow the view that meiser sheni is considered regular your fruit. But you have to eat in Yerushalayim. So if it's your fruit, then it's like any other rules of inheritance, which is that it becomes the husband. The husband acquires it. So if it's the husband's, that means that she's using, it's the husband's money, it's the husband's fruit, therefore you have, have to add a fifth. But B'Kitzer, this Shaila is completely unrelated to our discussion yesterday of whether a woman could acquire money outside of the husband's if a person gives it to her with conditions. This is completely unrelated. This is a case of inheritance and it's a completely separate Shaila. Okay. From here until the end of the daf, very easy, very pleasant, and that is, it's dealing with the rules of a mice, of an Evik Kanani. The major halachas of an Evik Kanani is that it leaves, right? We said, how does an Evik Kanani leave? So we talked about shtar, kesef, but the, the, the main way that's from the Torah is if he loses function of a limb. Right? The Pasuk says that, that if you break his eye or break his tooth, he leaves, right? If you break his eyes, break his tooth. He leaves, uh, he leaves, he leaves, uh, what do you call it? Uh, he leaves uh, slavery. And he becomes a Jew. Satana. He goes out by the master breaking his tooth, breaking his eye, or any of the tips of the limbs that do not regenerate. So if you cut off a finger, if you cut off a toe, if you cut off an ear, if you cut off a nose, if you cut off the aver of the body, any limb that you cut off that will not regenerate, he also goes free. Okay. Now, the Gemara says like this, I, I understand eye and a tooth. The Pasuk says, How do you know that it applies to a digit as well, a finger? How do you know? So the Gemara says, it's, it's, it's logical. Everything that is comparable to an eye and a tooth, just like are blemishes that are exposed, meaning it's not like an internal bleeding. It's an exposed blemish. And it causes it to not have function. I'll give you an example. If you break, a, uh, break his arm, he's not going free because it'll heal. But missing an eye and missing a tooth, they're not coming back. They're not growing back. So just like Shane Va'ayin are, are exposed blemishes that will not regenerate. So to it applies to digits as well. You cut off someone's finger, then it's not coming back. So that's the halacha. So we learn that from Shane Va'ayin. Now, let me ask you a question. Shane Va'ayin are two different cases. So you're telling me that they're the source of the law. Isn't there a concept called Shneik Suvam Baban Ke'echad, which is that when the Torah says one law twice, and it's not necessary to be said twice, that tells you these two are the exceptions. 
right? If the Torah says something like a law once, so then you could learn out from that law. If the Torah repeats itself twice, and you could, and really it could have said it once, but it said it twice, that's the way it's like, the Torah is saying, these two and these two alone. So if the Torah says, and it's not really necessary to say, you could just say one without the other, we're assuming. So if you could just say, and you could learn ayin from it, or you could just say ayin, and you learn shame from it, and the Torah specifically is matriach itself to say it both, doesn't that tell you that those are the exceptions, not the rule, and you cannot learn anything from Shein Vayin? So the Gemara says, Why don't we say that Shein Vayin are two psukim that are not necessary to be repeated, and they're coming to teach you one halacha, and any time the Torah says two halachas, two mitzvahs that are not necessary to be repeated, they're the exceptions, not the rule. So the Gemara says, Tricha. No, the answer is, Shein va'ayin are actually necessary to be written, and I would not learn out one from the other. The rule of shnei ksumban ke'echad is only when you don't have to write out both. You could have written one, but the Torah wrote out both, so it tells you these two and these two alone. If both are a chiddish, then it's not shnei ksumban ke'echad. It's, it's necessary to teach you both of them. So, right? So why are shein va'ayin necessary? Once shein va'ayin are necessary, then they're not falling under the rules of shnei ksumban ke'echad. It's necessary to list them, not because they're the exceptions, but because I wouldn't know them otherwise. So why can't the Torah just write one? Why does it need both? So the Gemara says, Tzricha, I'll tell you why it need both. If the Torah just said tooth, hava amina afilu, go to the next page, hava aminu afilu shein dechalov. Teeth, they're baby teeth. How do you know that uh, maybe I would say, if the Torah just said teeth, I would say if you knock at someone's baby tooth, you also should, uh, should go free. But that's obviously not true because it has to be a tooth that won't regrow. Baby teeth are replaced. So it has to be adult teeth. So if it just said teeth, I would extend the heter of releasing a slave even to baby teeth. So it says, I, you know, to tell you that just like an eye is not coming back, it has to be teeth that don't come back, which is adult teeth. And if the Torah just written I, I would say, I would say, yeah, because you were born with that eye. But your adult teeth, you were not born with adult teeth. So maybe if you knock out someone's tooth, that's not a part of who they are, because they were born without adult teeth, they'll be fine. They didn't have adult teeth their whole life. They'll be fine without adult teeth. So I would say... You are born with it. I mean, it's the first thing you're... I mean, you're not really born with it, but the point is, it's uh, at least it's the first things that appear when, when in the parish of teeth. It's the first ones that appear. Therefore, you, I would say adult teeth, no, because you're not born with it like an eye. Therefore, the Pasuk says no. Shane, yes. Ayin, yes. But they're not two psukim in Malamdin. They're the two psukim that are, that are the rule, not the exception. Okay, the Gemara says like this. I have a question. Why don't you say the word that yaka is a klal? It's a generalization. Shein v'ayin prat and shein v'ayin are specifications. The rule is that when you have a klal and then a prat, ein b'chlal master b'frat, you go with the specification. Shein v'ayin in midyachrin alo. The rule is that when you have a klal and then a prat, not with a klal afterwards, just a klal and then a prat. So you have a generalization, then a specification. The rule is you go with the specification. So if you have here a klal and a prat, and the prat is shein v'ayin, then it has to be shein v'ayin dafka. So the answer is, because it's not a klal and prat, it's a klal and prat and klal. The answer is, l'chavshi yishalchenu chazer v'kala. The words, l'chavshi yishalchenu, that it should be sent away, free and send away, that's a, another generalization. So it's a klal and prat and klal, ain't b'chala masha b'frat. The rule is that when you have a klal and prat and klal, the generalization is redefined by the specification, but 
so it's inclusive, not totally inclusive, but it's somewhat inclusive. And therefore, the rule is, Just like the specification, which is eye and teeth, are revealed blemishes that do not regrow. Okay. The Gemara says, says, Why don't you go with this? Why don't you say that it has to be similar to eye and teeth? And that is not just, what are eye and teeth? We're saying that it's revealed, because you could see the eye and the teeth, and the damage causes them to no longer have function. But there's actually one added aspect to it, which is that the, the eye and the teeth have a clear functionality. I know what they do. There are parts of the body that are revealed that I don't actually know fully what they do. Like, I'll give you an example. If you were to uh, break a collarbone in a way that it would never regrow, that's revealed. I could see it. I don't know what they do. I mean, I guess I kind of know what they do. I mean, they hold the probably hold the vertebrae place or something like that. I don't know, but the chest or something. But the point is, the Gemara is saying, why don't you go with eye and teeth, that it has to not just be revealed, but it has to be clear. Everyone knows what the functionality is. at the Brisa says, Talash if the master yanked the slave's beard and dislocated a bone in the jaw, you go free, even though I don't really know exactly what every jaw bone does. So why don't you say that it has to be that not just that it's revealed and that it had, loses its function, but that it's revealed loses its function but has a clear function so why are you extending it to a jawbone which not everyone knows which every bone has the function I, I think i would know what the function is but i guess people didn't know what the functions of a jawbone was the answer is the words is inclusive so it includes even things that the functionality is not as clear as long as it has a function and it's revealed that's enough the Gemara says, Iribahu, wait a minute, if you're telling me the Lchavshi Shalchanu is inclusive, then I feel Hikoa Yadavit Samcha Vesemil Ghazabra. Then what if, the, what, if the, what if you break his arm and then, it, re, and then it, it heals? It should also be free, right? If you're including even a dislocated jaw, why not include an injury that's not permanent? Alamatanya, yet the Bryce says he called Yadavit Samsa. If you hurt his hand, but he'll, he'll get better. In Evid Yitzel meaning. The Pasuk says eye and tooth, which is very specific. It has to be that it has a clear functionality. What about the dislocated jaw? The answer is L'chavshi Yishalchenu is inclusive. Well, if L'chavshi Yishalchenu is inclusive, then why don't you include an injury that's not permanent? The answer is Shein Vayin. That's the purpose of Shein Vayin. Shein Vayin tells you. The Gemara says, Imkain Shein Vayin If you're going to include injuries that are not permanent, then what do you have the word Shein Vayin for? Shein Vayin has to be somewhat limiting. Shein Vayin tells you it has to be permanent. L'chavshi Yishalchenu includes even one that functionality is not as clear. Okay, let's go back to Tanra Bekulam Now the question is like this. When you hurt his tooth or his eye, and he's free, he's a Jew, could he marry a Jewish woman without a bill of emancipation? He's definitely free. The question is, does he require a bill of emancipation on top of it? Or no, the Torah says, you're free, you're free. So it's a machlekes tanoim. Shimon says, even though you're free, and the Pasuk says you're free, you still need a bill of emancipation. Rav Meir says, no, the Torah says you're free, you don't need a bill. Rav Lazar Mitzarech, Rav Tafanam Mitzarech, Rav Kivar Mitzarech, Hamachim Vnecham Aymrim. So it's a machoik is Tanoim. What's the, those that are machria, those that 
to side conflicts. They said, When it's Shein V'ayin, which the Pasuk specifically outlines, you don't need a bill of emancipation. Shatar is also like, because the Torah says you're free. But we'll go with Rav Akiva. You need a bill of emancipation with the other digits. Because it's a penalty imposed by the rabbis. Let me ask you a question. It's not a penalty imposed by the rabbis. If you cut off someone's finger, it's not a penalty. It's a drosha from Chacham. I wouldn't call it a knas Chacham. Knas implies that there's no source in the Torah. It's just a complete penalty made up by the rabbis. I wouldn't call it a penalty. I'd say it's a drosha. So the Gemara says, Knasu Krokadarsh. It's not a knas, it's a drosha. The answer is, that's what he meant. Ella Midrash Chacham. That's what he meant. Okay, fine. Now, knas means there's no source in the Torah. It's just a penalty. They're just penalizing you. It's not a penalty. It's a pus- it's a drusha from Chazal. Chazal is saying this is what the Torah meant. A penalty is you park on the wrong side of the street. They give you a ticket. It's not. That's not a. That's not. Uh, Knas is a not a drusha. It's not a. Knas is a new penalty created by Chazal. This is not a new penalty. This is they're saying that's what the Torah meant. It's it's uh, it's more clear. So you have a machloekas tanoim whether you need a bill of emancipation when you go free. The question what, from injuries. My time with the Rav Shimon, what's Rav Shimon's source that you need a bill of emancipation? Yolof Shiluach, Shiluach Meisha. He makes a Zereshava connecting the word Shiluach from a get, from a divorce document, to a slave. Ma Shiluach Isha, just like Isha when it says Isha. To send her away, it's Bishtar, you need a bill of a divorce, you need a document. So too, a slave needs a document. Rav Meir, who feels that you do not need a document, what does he do with the Zereshava? He says, He says, the word chavshi is before, which means you're free before you send away. So if you need a document, I wouldn't say you're free before. Lechavshi means you're free already. Then you could send without anything. So he says that it's not that the drug, the Gzereshav is not going to override the, the clear Pshat of the Pasuk. The Pshat of the Pasuk is Lechavshi, you're already free. It's not like send them away with a document, then he's free. Lechavshi, you're free already. What do you need a document for? Okay. Vaiter. Tanarabana. He called Ainoivisimma. If the master hit the slave and blinded him, or Al Aznaivikhershar hit his ear and caused him to be deaf, he's free. But Neged Ainoivainaraiva, let's say instead of hitting his eye, he punched the wall next to his eye, and I guess um, and it caused him to be blind. I don't know, maybe the, 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 I don't know, the sound, or I guess maybe the, the reverberations. Or, but I didn't actually hit your eye. I just hit the opposite of your eye, by your wall. Or, or I hit the wall, and it caused, it, and it caused, um, and it caused you to, the shock caused you to lose your ear, lose your hearing. The halacha is, you're not going free. Meaning, it's dafka if you actually cause an injury directly to his eye and his ear. But if you just made a sound... And the sound caused him to lose his eyesight or his hearing. No good. So the Gemara says, that kind of sounds like sound cannot damage. Right? right if you do a, fire, a firework and it causes someone to lose his hearing, it sounds like you know, he's not going free. So that would sound like by, uh, by Hezek, I would, not have to pay, uh, I would not have to pay damages for causing someone to lose his hearing. The problem is that's not true. Amr of Shemel Rav Ashi, Lememer de Kolav Kumi, you're telling me that sound is legally insignificant? If a rooster put his head, you own the rooster. The rooster is by your neighbor's uh, yard, and it's near the. It puts his head in a in a glass in the glass and crow and a, a, 
whatever makes noise, and breaks the glass. You have to pay for it. The rooster crows and causes the glass to break. You have to pay. Yeah, you have to pay. Why? Because your animal damaged. It damaged through sound. So why is it when you damage through sound, the animal damage through sound, you have to pay. But if I damage the slave's ear through sound, I don't. he doesn't go free. What's the difference? If a horse neighs, a donkey braid, and they broke glass because of the noise. It's, it's, it's Karen. The point is, so why is it that I have to pay damages by an animal, but it doesn't set a person free? So the Gemara says, Amrlei, Shani Hasam de Kivan de Bardasi Ihim Mavois Nashi. The answer is, when an animal breaks an inanimate object, that's considered a damage. When you scare a person, the person sort of allows himself to be frightened. Fright is different than, uh, you know, it's not just a sound. Like the sound waves can crack glass. Okay, that's a mitzis, that's a science. If I scare you, 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 became, you were easily frightened. And therefore, it's considered that you sort of attribute it to your own fear, to your own, uh, you know, to your own, uh, to the own damage. So when you scared, when you banged and made the Eved frightened and he lost his he- hearing or his eyesight, he was at least a part factor in the fear. So the Gemara says, I'll prove it to you. If I scream in the Eved's ear and scare him and he loses his hearing, he doesn't go free. Because we said that he also somehow contributed to his loss. But let's say I grab him and scream in his ear, then, I, then he does go free. Why? Because by me grabbing him, I did a misa against him. So then I'm 100% at fault. It's hard to understand exactly in Lambda's the difference, but the Gemara says, If you scare your friend, so you jump out from behind the bush, and you scream, and you scare him, and he, I don't know, he got injured somehow from that, you don't have to pay down here, but in Shemayim you're going to have to be punished because you definitely, uh, you know, were involved in in in, in a hezek. Keitzad, talk about right? You you shout into his ear and you cause him death. Potter, again, you don't have to pay down here, but in Shemayim you have to. You don't have to pay down here because he was liable. He was partially liable to his own damages. But but if you grab him, I don't know because people allow themselves to be frightened. I, I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, that's, that's a, I mean, it, it, he should have been more like uh, I don't know. They're, they have <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I guess if you're stronger and tougher and more aware of your surroundings, you wouldn't be as easily scared. I don't know. It's like that's the Kobe famous video where the guy tried to throw a basketball in his face. It was nothing. Point is, you have to be, I guess, a stickle crazy. But kids are. But say, but let's say instead of just scare, screaming at him. You actually grabbed him and screamed at him. That is considered a maisa against him. Then you would have to pay. It's the way they, I, I have the article in front of me. I just tell you they call Rashi the slave experienced shock only because his mind focused on the sudden and terrifying sound. In essence, then the slave brought the blindness upon himself. The master was only a grama. Okay, it's interesting so far. Okay, I guess so. If you grab him, then you forced him to do that. Then that's considered a ma'isa against him. Okay, Tan He called You you struck the slave on his eye and made it weak. on his tooth and it became loose. So, what's the psak? Is he free or not? The answer is well. Is it still functional? If the tooth or the eye are still functional, even if you weaken them, but they're still functional, you don't go free. 
imlav, but if not, meaning even though you just loosened it, but he can't use it anymore, you don't have to actually knock out the tooth, but if the dentist says you can't, you can't, you can't bite on it anymore, okay, then he's free because he, he no longer has a functionality in the tooth. Same thing with the eye. The eye can technically be weak, but if he can't see with it, it could still be in his eye. It's not like he knocked the eye actually out of the face, but I can't use it. It's weakened. I can't use it. It's no more functionally. I'm legally blind now, so then that's it. He goes free. That's the first price. Second brisa, tiny very similar. This is that the slave's eye was already weak originally, and then you just knock, you, you blinded him in fully, or shena neduna, or his teeth were loose, and you knocked it out. If he was able to function before you knocked it out, so it was a loose tooth, but it was functional and you knocked it out, then he goes free. And if not, not. So it's a very, very similar, uh, similar concept. It's pretty, pretty obvious and sort of repeating itself. So the Gemara says, why do you need both prices? The Chiddush of the second price is, the second price is telling you that if you cause a slave to be blind, even if his eyesight was weak before, but was functional, Let's say for it to be functional, you have to have a 40% capacity of eyesight. His eyesight was 40%. It was functional. Not great. It was functional. And you cause him to be blind, he goes free. That's a chiddush. I could have thought that you only go free if you caused it from 100% eyesight to zero. This is 40, but it was still functional. That's the chiddush. V'yash and, the, and if it only told you the second b'raisa, the chiddush of the first b'raisa, is that let's say you go over to a slave that has 100% eyesight, you hit him in the eye, and it goes down to 39%. Now, 40% is already where it's considered no longer functional fully. Okay, So it's 39%. The chiddush is he goes free. I could have said, maybe he only goes free if you go to zero. So the second price's chiddush is that you'll go free when it goes to zero, even though it only started at 40. The first price's chiddush is that taking it down to 39%, even though it still has functionality, it still goes free because the kids of the rule is it was from functional to not functional. It doesn't matter if, let's say, not functional is 40% and, and lower. It doesn't matter whether you went from 100 to 39, 41 to 39. It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to zero and you don't have to start at 100. As long as it was functional and no longer functional, you're free. Now, here's the interesting Shaila. And this is for you, Adam. It's a good thing you're here today. The Shaila is, what if the slave... <laughs> Maybe, I don't know if he does this on purpose. If he is, it's very clever. He has a toothache. This is not for you, because you're very, very capable. But he knows that his master is not a very good dentist. He has a toothache, and he wants him to heal it. And in the process, he knocks out the tooth. He screwed up, and in the process, he knocks out the tooth. Does he go free? So here, he, he knocked out the tooth, but he was not doing it to harm him. I mean, his intention was not to harm him. His intention was trying to fix him. So the Gemara says, Let's say the slave's master was a doctor or a dentist. And the slave said, Can you help me with my eye? My eye is bothering me. Can you give me medication? But instead of giving him good eye drops, he gives him poison. Accidentally, malpractice, and now he's blind. So he, he completely caused him to be blind. With, with He was trying to help him, but he messed up. Or... Lachter Leshina, he had the toothache, he wanted him to give him a cavity. But Vipila, and instead of uh, doing the cavity, the dentist uh, messed up and knocked out his tooth. So the question is, does he go free? So Rav Shimber Gamliel Eimer, the Pasuk says 
that the master destroyed it, meaning as long as you destroyed the tooth or the eye, you have to have kavana to destroy it. Okay? Meaning, I'm sorry, I've skipped the line. The slave laughs at the master and goes free. Meaning he gets to go free. Even though the master tried to help him, he gets to go free. Now again, he, he, my, my point is if the slave's clever and he knows that the, the master is a really bad dentist, this is what he should do. So the point is, according to the Tanakama, if the dentist, if the master is trying to fix his tooth and accidentally knocks it out, he goes free. At the end of the day, he knocked out his tooth. It's like, it's like, a, it's like it doesn't matter your kavana, it's just a metzius. Like tooth in, tooth out, you're free. You destroyed that. You have to have kavana to destroy it. Over here, he's trying to help the guy. So it's a machloikis, Tanakama, and Rashim ben Lazar, Rashim Gamliel, whether if, if a doctor has a malpractice, malpractice does, he, does the slave go free? Tanakama says yes, Rashim Gamliel says no. What is it, Rabban and Tanakama, what does he do with Vishikhasa? What does he do with Vishikhasa, which the Rashim Gamliel said means that you have to have intention to destroy his tooth? He used it for the following price. What it means like this. According to the Rab Tanakama, you're a dentist, yeah? Guy comes in, the slave comes in with a toothache, you accidentally knock it out. You're trying to help him, you knock it out. The halach is according to Tanakama. According to the Tanakama, you go free. Because you knocked it out. I it says Vashikhasa, which implies some level of intent. Over here, there's no intent. You say, you know what they apply it for? They apply it for the teaching of Ravalaza. Ravalaza's case is you have a woman whose your slave is giving birth. You're a doctor. You reach into the womb to pull the baby out, and you cause the baby's eye to become blind. Now over there, it's even it's even over there you don't go free. Why? The case with a dentist. You didn't have intention to hurt the guy, but you definitely had intention to work with the tooth. You were trying, you were playing with the tooth, and when you knocked it out, you definitely were intending to mess around with the tooth. Now, you were not intending to hurt him, but you definitely had intention of working on the tooth. The case of the baby, where he sticks his hand into the womb to pull the baby out, the doctor, or the clamps, he's using clamps, whatever it is, he doesn't even know what body part he's touching. It's not like he's feeling around for the eye. He's just feeling, he just grabs the head and pulls, and cause the eyes to be blind. That's the case that the Rabbanon say you don't go free. So the Rabbanon say like this, when the dentist knocks out the tooth, he at least intended to touch the tooth, and he knocked it out, that that's enough to go free. I, what is Vashich saw? That implies that you don't go free if you don't have intention. That's Dafka talking about a case with the baby with the midwife, because over there, he didn't even intend to touch that part of the body. <laughs> He's like that, that's Bechlal, like, like no intention. Like the dentist, you could say there's no intention to hurt, but there's definitely intention to mess around with the tooth. Over here, he didn't even know he was touching the tooth. That, or in the case, the eye, because obviously babies don't have teeth. But the point is, that, that, that's the point. Okay. The Idach, Rav Shem Gamliel heard, he used the Vashich saw. how does he know this halacha? And the other Rabbanon don't darish the extra hay. All right, just to finish up. Okay, let's say he had a blind eye. Okay, so his eye is already blind. He doesn't have any function. And you decide, I'm going to punch him in his blind eye because I'm a good person. And you knock the eye out of the socket. So it wasn't functional, but now it's missing an eye. So the halacha is, free. Even though it wasn't functional at all because now his body is missing. 
even though he did, he's not missing a part that had any function before, but it originally had a function when he was born, and now it's missing that part of the body. That's enough to make him go free. It's a chiddush. My time, what's the source? Mechuser because you cause him to be a mechuser ever. I mean, the chiddush is that if you cause someone's eye to be blind, even though he is fully intact, but the eye just doesn't work, you go free. The added chiddush is that even if the eye didn't work anymore, if you scoop the eye out, he's now missing a part of his body, he also goes free. What's the source? Vitana tuna, what's the source? Because this is talking about, uh, this is talking about carbonus, of what's acceptable for a bird carbon. So halach is like this. Thomas v'zachris b'mehema, when it comes to a male animal, let's say a, you know, a non-bird, a sheep, a cow, the halach is, it has to be complete, it can't be missing an aver, and zachris, it has to be able to have, uh, has to be healthy, like masculinity, it can't, uh, can't, if it's impotent, that would be a problem. Vain Thomas v'zachris b'ayfris, but a bird doesn't need to have those, uh, that, that specifications, meaning, a bird that it can be blemished. It, it's right when it comes to a cow, right? A cataracts, right? A little scratch of the eye will make it puzzle as a carbon, puzzle as a krav. Right? It's a famous gemara in Gittin that that's they didn't want to bring his carbon that led to the churban. A bird carbon like a oilas if they're not checking the eye. It, it, as long as it's not missing a leg, that's fine. It says the gemara. What if the bird's wing is withered, or its leg is completely severed, or its eye was removed from the socket? Meaning, they'll never check a bird whether the bird is blind. Even a blind bird can be brought as a carbon. But if the bird's eyes are missing, it's possible. What does that show you? It shows you that even if it's not functional, when it's missing an aver, it's a different, it's a different goof legamri. So, so too by an evid, even if the evid did not have eyesight, but losing the eye, the socket, completely out of the socket, that's, uh, that's, that's enough of a change that you would uh, allow him to go free. All right, we'll stop here. He probably checked